And we are back on the block, uh, quarantine episode week two. <laughs> yes, it's not funny, but yes. Uh, hello, everyone. Hi, Karen. Greetings uh, from our quarantined homes. Yeah, here we are during COVID-19 uh, with a double episode to recap for you, for, for your diverting, di- diversion. Um, no lifeguard on duty. That is right. We're at season four, episode 20, 20. Um, and no lifeguard on duty will make sense as we dive it will. into this episode. We will get to it. Um, yes. So in reruns, this is one that they break up uh, in two parts, um, which I guess they're not rerunning it anywhere anymore. But um, when it aired, it did air as that season's February sweeps double episode. I was going to uh, ask you, why was this a double? Like, it's, it, like, it wasn't like a, a, it wasn't really a cliff. Like, it wasn't that sort of, we're going to break for uh, six weeks. So we're going to leave you on a cliffy. Like, I was wondering why this was the two hour. episode. They did for like seasons three through six. I think they always had a two part, or excuse me, a two hour episode in November during sweeps and during February, they did another. And then the finale, the season finale, every season was a two parter in May. Wow. Remember sweeps. It was like a different universe, not just a different calendar, but the completely different model. It really, I mean, do we even still have sweeps? I know they exist, but I also think those ratings are largely meaningless now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess if you are a show on a network, then those those ratings help you because you're still charging for advertising, so the networks want them. But we were talking about, like, a show that was doing pretty good would have 26 to 30 million viewers for a given episode. And now it's like the shows that do really well, like your top 10 highest rated network shows, get like four to five million viewers a week. It's kind so of amazing. It's all skewed. Yeah. Yeah. Kind totally. of amazing how much that's changed. You know, it's so funny. Yeah. I remember when I was doing more celebrity work back in the day, um, you know, it was really, really hard to book your clients on the talk shows, like the late night shows and stuff like that in February and November because they were in sweeps. And so you had to have like super A-list people in order to land those interview slots Um, because, well, it's February sweeps, you know, and now I don't know, like I don't work with anybody really that would, you know, but, but it's kind of like, I'm just kind of wondering if those parameters still stand. Um, I, I just don't imagine they, they, do at least not to the same degree that they did. Um, but it's true. And so typically they would have all their big stunts would happen during November, February and May on the network shows. And that's when you would see the guest stars and that's when there'd be the weddings or if they were going to kill a character off, that's when it would happen. Um, so with Melrose, it didn't always fall during that time because they kind of did it throughout. But that's why Sid was in the cult during February of 95. And that's why, you know, Kimberly returned during like February of 94 and stuff like that. It's so crazy to think like we just went through February. Like we, we just came out of like the quote unquote February sweeps right um, now. And I cannot think of like any TV show that had, because I remember there was always like big commercial lead ups. Like there were big lead ups yeah, to these. Yeah. 
And, and I don't remember seeing anything for like regular TV. I mean, not like I pay as much attention anymore as I did back then, because I mean, frankly, we all have our attention skewed in a thousand different directions. So it's super hard to like, you know, I don't have network TV anymore, so I'm not watching network TV commercials. So like, I don't know, are they pumping this stuff? If they are, I don't know, because the network TV stuff I do watch, I'm fast-forwarding through any commercials anyway, so I just won't <laughs> be able to tell. But it's true. They used to really, they used to really like, advertise the shit out of these shows yeah. weeks in advance to, to get as high a uh, uh, count as possible for their uh, audience that would tune in. So, um, so we're in February sweeps, y'all, so we have a doozy of a double episode to talk we about. We do, and you know what? I forgot to sort of tee it up um, for you at the end of last week's podcast, but they did say, leading up to this week's big episode, that by the end of the episode, two characters would be dead. So I should have teased that out no, a little bit. No, you did. You said people were dying. I did. Did I say, yes. did I say, because they made a very big deal about not one, but two characters will be dead. I don't know. So you we, know what? I'm not good at math. I'm just going to lay this out here. I'm not good at math. I counted only one body. You're you're wrong. And don't worry, we'll get to that. Okay. But, um, uh, so I'm right, so, but I'm wrong. No, you're wrong. I am absolutely well, wrong. Oh. I only counted one body. There's only one body count in this episode. You're wrong. What I miss? I don't know. Well, this is the exact purpose of our podcast. We are not just doing it for you listeners. Now we're doing it for Karen, too, tonight. Holy um, shit. What did I miss? No, 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 no. We'll we'll walk through it. We'll get there. Um, we'll get there. Uh, but, yeah, there, there are two deaths in this episode, and... One would be led to believe from the cliffhanger we left off on last week that one of them will either be Bobby or Amanda. So we might as well pick up there. <sighs> oh, by the All way. Right. Karen. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. Okay. Look, there were a lot of, I, I just want to put this out there because I will be commenting on this throughout. I think there were just so many bathrobes in this episode. This was the bathrobe episode. Yes, there Holy were. Holy shit. Just bathrobe after bathrobe after bathrobe. And none of them were sexy. They were all terry cloth. Yeah, they were not sexy. I mean, I guess they were comfortable. I suppose. I mean, I guess, like, comfort won out this time around. I got a bathrobe as one of my birthday presents this year. Did you love it? Uh, yeah, I did. Because I- my, my mother-in-law-to-be gave it to me. Because when we were in Aruba, I, like, wore the robe every day in the hotel. And um, so she was like, oh, that sounded like it was a nice uh, thing. So she ended up buying me a bathrobe. Oh, was it the one that you were wearing in Aruba? You know how you can no. buy them from the hotels? No, it wasn't. Oh, all right. No, it wasn't. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, yeah, so we, we uh, cliffhanger was Amanda Bobby held at gunpoint by, by Don Parisi there, and, um, and, and it looked like somebody was going to get shot, and so we open up this episode in the same, they're in the same predicament. Yeah, still being held at gunpoint in the hotel room. Yeah. Yeah, and um, and this was honestly the lamest end to what could have been a really sort of sizzling story, end to a really dull storyline. Um, yeah, this cliffhanger is resolved before we even get to the opening credits. I couldn't and believe how everyone quickly, walks away. <laughs> everyone walks away. Nobody's dead. Nobody's shot at. Nobody's 
but like Daddy Parisi is just like, I'm done, whatever. I hate you both, and he walks away, and he takes yeah. his, he takes the evil henchman with him. Yeah, Bobby speaks up, and he's like, "Don't shoot Amanda. If you have to, shoot me." But I'm done with this family. So just disown me. Don't kill me. We will never do anything together again. And the father's like, all right, fine. I will never speak to you again. You don't exist to me. I've lost two sons. And that's, that, that's the end of it. Yeah, which means Bobby is out of some money mm-hmm. from whatever Don Parisi's money came from. Um, but, but he ain't but dead. There'll be a way. But there'll be a way. Yeah, and they both walk away. Yeah, yeah. They both walk away. So that's the end of it. Do we ever so, see Daddy Parisi again? Because no, I no, think that was it. That's it. Yeah. Wow. So th- this, I mean, this whole Parisi storyline thing that they set up with the with Jack and the dad and Bobby, like I feel like it's such a letdown. Oh, totally. It has no teeth. This whole storyline. It's like this is the mob. These people, you know, shoot people with their eyes closed. And here we go, and the whole thing with, oh, we didn't realize Amanda hadn't been killed yet, even though Bobby was just sticking around in L.A., and now here we are, and we're finally going to kill one of you. Oh, no, no, we're not. We're just going to leave. Have a nice life. Goodbye. And whatever happened to Bobby being, like, CIA, FBI, like, whatever the fuck he was that was, like, this sort of shadowy law, law enforcement thing, like, that's just out the window, too. Was he... I thought he was just military ops. No, I thought they also made reference that, like, afterwards he went to Washington and, like, joined the CIA or something like that. And that's why, like, he was out of the family business. Oh, well, they don't do anything with that. No, they did nothing with that. Hey, look, you know what? Maybe I just made that up in my head because it was more interesting. I don't yeah, fucking you know. Should, you should be writing for them 25 years writing, ago. 25 yeah. years ago, I should be writing for Melrose Place. Any hoodles. This was really, really stupid, and at least we're done with that. Yeah, we truly we move right on. Meanwhile, back at the office, Peter keeps making a play for Alicia because he's weaseling his way into sort of I get like again another situation where I don't quite get where they're trying to go with this. I guess he's like sleeping with her to get like information about Bobby. So that he can make his play for Amanda? I don't even know if it's to get information about Bobby or just to rile Bobby up. Like, I'm moving in on your turf kind of thing. Well, you know, Alicia does sort of drop a bomb, like, that's like, oh, I can't believe he's dating a blonde because he usually likes redhead, which, like, you know, little light bulb goes off in Peter's head because he has a redhead that he can throw to the wolves. Yeah, exactly. And he does. And he does. And that would be said. Yeah. But uh, something else, something important happens to Sydney in this episode. She cuts her hair. Exactly. I don't like the Groove haircut. is no longer in the heart. No, I don't like the haircut. Um, I think it was getting a little ridiculous with her Groove is in the heart well, thing. Well, she so. was bouffanting bigger and bigger every week. So it was, like, necessary, I think, for a haircut. So anyway, she's still got the red hair. She's got the haircut. So now, basically, Peter is going to pay her to turn Bobby into a cheating man. Yeah. 
Yeah, he basically turns her back into the call girl she was two seasons ago. Right. And so it's like first base is $1,000, second base is two, third base is three. And then she's like, if you want a home run, you got to pay me $7,500. I make it a nice dress. Yeah, and, and a nice dress. So he is going to take Sid to a um, a party, I guess like a a, a it's like, another, gala. it's like a gala fundraiser for the hospital. Yeah. Like, and, like I feel like they just had one, but yeah. Yeah. And so um, uh, Bobby is taking Amanda, and so um, Peter Burns is going to take Sid as his date because he wants Sid to make a play for Bobby. Right. Um, meanwhile, back at the ranch, um, in, in the workaday world, we do have one more visit um, from Bobby's father except that it's not like a real visit it's just that like you know there's still a little bit snowballing there apparently um don parisi had had invested in his son's uh cable company and pulled all his money out sold all is trying to sell all his shares and so bobby is scrambling to buy up those shares so that i guess they don't get sold to somebody and he loses control of his company right which i'm glad they had that scene because i didn't even know this was a cable company Oh, I knew that. I had forgotten. Yeah, no, I knew that part, but um, it just kind of seems like it was such a generic thing. Like, okay, cable company. Yeah, yeah. How how easy and how quickly he's able to, you know, become a mogul. Yeah, with a cable company that yeah. hasn't even laid down its cables yet, as we will find out. Yeah, well, which makes there. sense because we don't see much staff. No, it's just, right now it seems like it's just Bobby and Alicia. Alicia, yeah. And, and just like, <laughs> just like D&D, there's no security. Of course not. Anybody Those doors are wide in. open 24-7. Yeah. Anybody can just walk in. Um, Should we um, kind of go back to the beginning, though, and talk where we find Brooke? There's a lot of Brooke in this episode. Oh, there is It's a hard to Brooke. avoid. Um, I think we just need to, like, dive through the Amanda Bobby Peter Sydney thing and then okay. jump into Brooke. I think that's kind of probably going to be the best way to go through this. Okay. Um, because I mean, frankly, for a whole lot of there, a whole lot of nothing happens at this point. I mean, basically yeah, it's, it's Sid hitting on Bobby and Bobby keeps turning her down. Yeah. There's a lot of redundancy in this episode for a two hour episode. There's an inordinate demand of filler. I think for what Melrose's like sweeps episodes yeah. typically do. I mean, basically, like, Peter runs into Amanda while he's getting a dress for Sid. He ends up buying the same dress for Sid because, like, Well, yeah, he purpose. sees Amanda trying this tight-fitting white number on. Yeah, yeah. And, he buy- and so they're wearing the same dress. and uh, But poor Sid is going to, like, return the dress for cash the next day. But then Amanda dumps red wine all over her. It's very, like, I got, like, I was like, ooh, ow, Sid. Well, no, I mean, let's set it up a little bit. They show up at the, the fundraiser. Um, Amanda's annoyed to see Sid there. Sid is furious at Peter for having them wear the same thing. She still tries to succeed in her mission. She sidles up to Bobby at the bar. He orders her a drink and then sees Amanda and kind of skedaddles. And Amanda and Sid have what could have been some sort of... Again, Amanda and Sid, who have been roommates in the first half of the season, and we don't even remember that on the show. No, I forgot that completely. Um, and and what could have been like some kind of like iconic confrontation between the two of them um, 
And very quickly, Amanda just makes mincemeat of Sid and calls her out on being a two-bit whore and spills her red wine all over her, ruining the dress and humiliating Sid. And that's kind of it. Yeah, that's it. I just remembered the second. I remembered the second body. Oh, okay. So I wasn't a liar. It, okay. No, there is a second body. I just completely forgot. Because again, what? Why are they doing this? But anyway, moving on. Peter and Sid and Bobby and Amanda. I don't. I don't know. Um, basically, okay. So, so yeah. So Sid's play for Bobby at the fundraiser did not work. Sid shows up to Bobby's office with a non-functioning cable box and says, could you fix it for me? And he's like, that's funny. We haven't even laid the groundwork yet for the cable. And, and like, and then she like, there was sort of like an interesting twist to her where she was like, you know what? You're right. Like Peter put me up to this and you're a really great guy. And Amanda's super lucky. And I always get the assholes and thanks for being cool. Yeah. It was like such a exactly. genuine thing. And then I thought, I thought maybe there was a spark of interest from Bobby as soon as Sid dropped her guys and was just like, hey, like you're a great guy. And I wish you were single because I would totally date you because I need a great guy. Yeah. And that but would I have been be a way it. to write it. Yeah. Uh, but- no, I don't think that's there. I think they're really sticking to the, the Bobby, Amanda, Peter now Alicia Quadrangle, or Parallelogram, whatever we want to call it, um, when it would be so much more interesting if Sid was actually involved. Again, we had that odd interaction between Bobby and Allison on New Year's Eve, and now we have an like an actual kind of flirtation between Bobby and Sidney. And it's like, these are missed opportunities to, to really entwine your different cast members. But... Um, but they don't. I, as far as I can remember, this is kind of the end of the road for Sydney and Bobby. It's just a thing that didn't work, um, and it's like the worst off because I don't remember Sid even having a real storyline for the rest of the season. Oh, not that she had much of one aside from spiking Jane's drink for the first half. But um, yeah, yeah. So that's about it. I mean, with the exception of Amanda does at the end of their storyline, catch Bobby in a lie. Exactly. Where he tells her he's in Palm Springs, but Alicia just came from Palm Springs and, and tells Amanda, I don't remember. I think Amanda called looking for him or whatever. Um, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, Alicia called Amanda. Yes, Alicia looking for calls. Bobby. Yeah. And Amanda's like, I don't know where he is. And she's like, well, he's not in Palm, Palm Springs. And so... You know, Bobby claims that he was in Palm Springs, but he really was. And Amanda knows that he wasn't. And well, and the, the thing is, it's not as nefarious because he's not really hiding anything other than the fact that he was talking to Peter because they had like another pissing contest meeting at uh, you know at a, a bar restaurant. But it's the fact that Amanda has now caught Bobby in a lie. But I also don't understand, like, why is Bobby telling Peter to leave Alicia alone? Because, like, what's what's it to him? I think he's telling Peter to back off altogether because Peter keeps coming for stuff that Bobby thinks is his. And and Peter is doing that. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It just seemed really, really weird that he is, like, now trying to get in between Peter and Alicia. Um, you know, he... Because he's insecure about Amanda? I don't know. It just seemed really weird. Like, just let him go do his thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, I do. Anyway. I, I do think that's pretty much it for this whole storyline. Though I hope to remember when there's a bunch of stuff happening at D and D. I do want to quote a line of Amanda's, but we'll get to that later. Okay. Um, should we just hit? hit I mean, we had Matt. Let's get the Matt thing out of the but way. We'll just get Matt talks. out of the way. Yeah, I mean, Matt's still dating the boyfriend that's still in the closet because he's an actor. Um, and I guess there's a dance-a-thon that Matt wants to go to with Alan, but, um, but he's not sure if Alan's going to go with him. Right. And at one point Matt comes home to find that he can't get into his own apartment because idiot Alan is doing a publicity interview for his soap opera and he's recording it from his actual apartment, which is Matt's apartment, um, and continuing with the the lie that he is this straight guy. And Matt, like, comes in and eventually interrupts the interview. And Alan's, like, trying to tell him first, just, like, glaring at him, like, stop it, shut up, don't say anything. And then eventually Matt, like, storms off. And I think the interviewer was like, oh, is this your roommate? And he's like, oh, yeah, this is my friend. He's staying with me for a little bit. But then Matt storms off, and Alan calls off the interview, takes off his mic, and runs out after Matt into the courtyard. It's like, well, we're going to pretend like you haven't just blown your cover. Your cover. But, like, <laughs> but uh, idiot, you pretty much just blew your cover. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it was oh, it was because, like, Matt got all upset because Alan was like, I'm single and I'm loving it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So it, things aren't looking good between Matt and Alan and, um, and, and, and Matt is basically like, I'm not going back into the closet. I've fought so long to be accepted. And Alan's like, I could lose my job. And Matt's like, if that happens, you just sue them. Okay. It's not that simple. It's not that simple. And this is where I feel like this storyline super let me down. Cause it could have been so much more nuanced because back in the day, <laughs> you know what show you're watching, right? I know. But back in the day, like if you were an actor and yeah, you were for, gay, I mean, back in the it. day, even like now, if you're yeah. an actor and you're gay, like it's super hard, you know, because like it's super, like you could really lose, like you could jeopardize your career by being out. Yeah. And you can say, well, that's not true. There are plenty of out actors. But that's not true for everyone, and it's also not true for those who have already been established as a certain thing to then change their public image by by coming forward about their sexual true sexuality. But it certainly wasn't true 25 years and ago. It certainly was not even close to true 25 years ago. And so that's why I kind of felt like this storyline was... Um, I mean, it wasn't only... Tr- it wasn't, it wasn't only truth, like not truthful. It was also just, I don't know. I felt, I felt careless, you know, well, Alan, they're having an argument over dinner. Cause Alan takes Matt out to a really dimly lit restaurant where they can essentially hide in plain sight. And, and Matt says that thing about like, you can sue. And Alan's like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like once I'm out, I'm out. So like, they don't dig deep into that at all. But Alan does rebut a little bit with what we're talking about. But the point is, like, he is being dishonest. He's not being fair to Matt. And Matt should only take this for so long. Right. I mean, you know, I, I mean, that's, I, I mean, I guess that's the thing. Like, if they, 
if they really wanted to sort of like like give Matt a real plot line, like they could have grappled with this a little more. Yeah. Where like Matt could be understanding, but he can say, but I don't want to be back in the closet, but I love you, but I don't want to be. Do you know? And there could have been, oh, of course. there could have been more struggle. There could have been more internal struggle. There could have been more external struggle. I mean, how do you also, as an actor, like doing that interview, for example, um, like Alan was doing doing that interview and sort of like sees his lover storm off and he takes off the mic and says, I'll be right back. Like if that's your roommate, like you don't chase after your roommate who stormed right, off. Right. You chase you chase after your significant other because they're upset. And that so like why would you do that? And like with an interview when you could be outed that way, you know, and, and I don't know, there's just kind of been, they're just, I don't know. It just felt so lazy. Right. Again, this is a show where Allison was blind for two weeks and Jane was paralyzed for two and a half. So I know. nuance so is not their strength. So much missed opportunity. So like, we're just like churning through these storylines where if they just let this one marinate, like it could have been a full season with a great arc and then a breakup at the end. Exactly. That's exactly right. But they didn't do that. But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. Um, so basically what ends up happening is Alan um, does show up at the dance-a-thon. And by the way, we should also add that David, the guy at the hospital... The nice become, good guy. The nice good guy has become quite chummy with Matt over the yeah. course of, I don't know, the last week that we've been apart from them. Um, and, uh, and so he's at this dance-a-thon too, and he sees... Matt sitting outside the dance-a-thon door waiting for Alan, and it looks like he's going to get stood up. And David is kind of like, hey, well, you can dance with me. I yeah. came solo. Um, and it looks like there might be something happening, but then Alan shows up and puts his arm around Matt and is like, I wouldn't miss Cla- this for the claims world. Claims him, yeah. Claims him. And yet, right in front of the club where all of this is happening, there are there are like flashbulbs going off because yeah. there are photographers taking pictures of people as they're walking in. And of course, a photographer comes right up to Matt's car, takes a picture of the two of them with Alan's arm fully around Matt. And guess what happens? It's Alan like, is outed. <laughs> Alan is outed. Like he's like, you know, the next day getting calls from his like agents. Like you need to come in right now and see this, this photograph. And Alan is pissed and Alan is pissed at Matt. Yeah. So then really, Matt, you should just leave him. I mean, this is just doomed to fail. Yes. Doomed yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, so, uh... We could do Richard and Joe and Jane. Um, yeah. With some could, Jake? Yeah. yeah, with some Jake, yeah. Take it away. Um, so... Correct me if I missed anything, but I think the the first big thing is now Jane needs a place to work. So Jane, excuse me. So Jake allows Jane to create her whole studio in his garage. Well, but there's a yeah. But f- can we just talk about how Jane is now like not even a cane? Oh yeah, Jane is like like super like walk walking yeah everywhere. Yeah. She could run a marathon all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No lingering. Yeah. No lingering devastation or anything from the stroke that she had five minutes earlier. No. Yeah. Yeah. So so Jane is perfectly able to get around, and Jane is perfectly able to sketch and all of those things. So um, she set up in Jake's garage, but Jake had been letting Joe park her car, which I believe is a BMW when we eventually see it, um, 
in the garage. So before Jake has done anything, Jake gives this studio space to Jane and says, but by the way, Joe's been parking her car here, and now I have to tell Joe. It's like, well, why didn't you work that out before you made this promise to Jane? Because now it's more awkward. And also ridiculous. Yeah, I know. Um, But it did have some, like, really great moments between, like, Jane and Joe where, like, like, Joe needed to move her car and and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, did I park in the middle of your company? (laughs) Which was really kind of funny. Um, But, like, I don't know, this animosity is just kind of like bananas. Oh, for sure. Between all of them, you know. Um, And, yeah, that was... And that was about it. And it's like, I don't know, like, Richard and Joe are fighting, and Jane and Jake, as hot and heavy as they were, like, in the last episode, now now it seems like Jake is having second thoughts. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's a little bit of uh, discomfort on his part. But also, how, how does this work as Jane's studio, like... I don't understand how this is really more room for her than just staying in her apartment, which is a bit more secure. Like, what happens when it rains? Like, what? And Richard could walk in at any time and steal designs. Well, and he does walk in. Yeah. He does walk in to congratulate her on her on her new office <laughs> garage. And and Jane actually, you know, does accuse him of trying to steal her designs being there. He was. He was looking at them. And he yeah. was looking at them. He was looking at them. And she was sort of like, you know, you're, you've always been like the no talent and you've had Mackenzie and then me propping you up. Now, I don't know how true this is. Well, I think that is actually true. But there have also been times where he was definitely the powerful one behind Mackenzie Hart, we're led to believe. So I don't think he was talentless, but I think we're supposed to believe that Jane was really the visionary in terms of actual design. But what happened to his menswear line that he was developing and and branching off into a second company? I don't know. What happened to making Brown the New Black with these things that are just so 1995 all of a sudden? I don't know. The whole thing is so weird. Anyway, um... One thing that does happen with Richard is that he turns into a slave driver. I guess he's sort of feeling the heat from the competition from Jane and her garage. And so um, he's like basically making everybody work 24-7 in his company. And Joe, she just doesn't want to work that hard. Yeah. Joe is tired. She's like, we don't have time for our life. We're here morning, noon, and night. I'm missing meals. We don't have time for our love life. It's enough. Yeah. And and he's like, well, what do you want me to do? And she's like, I don't know. First of all, Karen, Karen, your line reading is already better than Patrick Muldoon's there. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know. Jump into the pool with your clothes on. Sing me a love song. Say I love yes, you, so you friends. Exactly. But I love that. Jump into the pool with your clothes on. Because isn't that what Jake did the last episode with Jane? Um. It, 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 yeah. Actually, yeah, he it was is. he was pulled in technically clothed, but yeah. But yeah, he did go into the pool with all his clothes on, and so basically now it looks like um, uh, Joe and Richard are breaking up. Yeah, Joe's had enough. Joe Joe needs a better guy, but she won't get one. Yeah, 
And um, meanwhile, back at Shooters, um, Jane shows up and is basically like confronts Jake and she's like, why have you been avoiding me? And um, and he is kind of like trying to like dump her. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's, he's kind of like, you know, they're like oil and water. He's like, you, what you do and what I do would just no, it just wouldn't work. Yeah. And then she kisses him and I guess like he's like, OK, maybe it will work then. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what it takes to, to turn the tide. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's basically it. And they, like, have sex on the desk. Because didn't that happen before with Jay? Oh, yeah, with Shelly. Shelly, they did that in the, on the, on the, desk. the back room. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I also didn't see anyone else working at Shooters. So I hope no one needed a drink for a while. Mm, yeah, because I don't think Matt was there. No, and if Matt was there, he'd just be there, you know, as a customer. Oh, as a he patron. quit? Did he quit? I think he stopped working because, you know, this, like, really advanced uh, fast-track med school he's doing uh, is all-consuming. Okay. I couldn't remember if he actually quit or not. Like, it, I, like that's something that wasn't clarified. Maybe on purpose so that if they need him to pick up a shift, he can Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, so, so we're going to wrap up their storyline back at Melrose Place in the courtyard where, you know, we think that Richard and Joe are over, but Richard shows up to basically apologize and he shows up to say i love you and he says i love you in french and um and is basically like please don't make me go in the pool it's winter and by the way that means it was winter last week when jane was in there swimming with her bathing suit and also is there such a thing as winter in la can't you go swimming year-round yeah i mean it gets chillier in the evenings but still so anyway, um, he dives into the pool basically to prove his love for her. Uh, yes. And so they are reunited. I guess we should mention it doesn't matter in terms of plot, but there is a scene early on where Joe again sees Richard in her place in a towel and takes the towel off him. Well, I believe she is in one of this episode's uh, aforementioned bathrooms. Yes, indeed, she was. And I think we had Amanda in a bathrobe a couple of times in this episode. I remember her in PJs hanging out in her couch at one point, specifically. I can't remember the bathrobe. Kind of, it probably. was kind of a brown bathrobe, unless I'm thinking it was Bobby's bathrobe. Oh, that's possible. It's possible that I got confused and it was Bobby's bathrobe. Uh, so who else? Who, who else was in a bathrobe? Was Michael, Michael and Kimberly? They're back together. Well, you cut to the chase, but yes. I know. I um, too. Maybe I remember them they're at one point playing Scrabble on the bed, but they're still clothed. I, I guess know. they didn't have a um they didn't they didn't have a bathrobe. Okay. So let's let's talk about Michael and Kimberly because um I think this is a really stupid plot, but I also think it leads to one of my favorite moments in the whole two part episode. So we have a return of Crazy Vic who I couldn't remember at first Vic, what Vic from North Hollywood, the guy who called in to her when she was radio DJing. I know, it's been a busy year for Kimberly. Um, and the one who tied her up in that uh, abandoned uh, motel room. And uh, then Kimberly performed a citizen's arrest and walked him into jail. Right. So, so go ahead. She had said that she was going to keep him out of trouble by being his therapist, but then she ended up having him thrown into jail.
basically. And and not visiting him or keeping up with him at all. Which, why would you? But she promised. So now all of a sudden, Vic starts calling Kimberly. Yeah. And she doesn't understand why, because basically he's supposed to be in jail. He's supposed to have his phone calls monitored. He shouldn't be calling him. And and so she's a little freaked out. And Michael is there when, when she gets the, the first call. Yeah. You know, and so Michael is basically like, I'll protect you. And Kimberly is like, no, you won't. Yeah. She's like, back off. Leave me alone. I'll deal with this. Yeah. So the way that Kimberly deals with this is instead of calling the cops, calling a lawyer, calling whoever, she actually just goes to jail to talk to Vic. Yeah. Very like, silence of the lambs of her. Actually. Yeah. And be like, leave me alone. Um, and, and meanwhile, um, Michael has enlisted the help of some rando police friend. He has a cop made. friend has that cop we've friend. never heard of. Yeah. Um, to double check on Vic's status in the, um, in the, in the penal system and confirms <laughs> that indeed Vic is going away for quite a long time. So Amanda, so Amanda, Allison, not Allison, who are we, who's he with? Are we talking Kimberly. Kimberly? Kimberly has absolutely nothing to worry about, and he is very happy that he can deliver that news to her because he wants to be the hero. Um, well, he fucks up. Well, it's not really his fault, but he can't play hero just yet. No, he cannot play hero just yet. And um, basically, um, <laughs> contrary to Michael's source, now we have poor. We have we have an accidental prisoner release. <laughs> Yeah, he gets a call in the hospital that Vic was sentenced to 15 years, but he actually, due to a clerical error, was released. And so now, Kimberly, you're in danger, girl. <laughs> it's right. You're in danger, girl. Get Whoopi Goldberg. Um, and so, of course, like, Kimberly has left her office, and, okay, this gave way, I have to say, this was Kimberly's teachable moment, because, and I'm wondering... <laughs> If this was something, because I remember in the nineties, somebody, uh, women were always told this and it's something that sort of rings true to this day. Before you get in your car, if you're before, if you are a female, you're by yourself, you unlock your doors to your car, always check the back seat to make sure there isn't somebody hiding back there with a knife or a gun. And this was Kimberly's teacher because she did not check the back seat. And guess what? She gets in her car from the dark parking garage of, of the hospital or parking lot. I can't remember if she's in a garage or a lot. No, it's just a lot. Like the entrance to the hospital is 20 feet behind her. Yeah. And there's Vic in there who's got a knife that he's, he's holding to her, her neck when she's yeah. like trying to drive away. So anyway, um, that was her teachable moment. Always look yeah. at the back seat. So sure this is, you know, all happening right as Michael has taken that phone call in the hospital. So he's running out to try and catch her because he knows that her shift ended and she's leaving. Um, and he manages with Vic. Now he's now in the front seat with Kimberly. Uh, she's at knife point. Uh, Kimberly has backed out of her space and is about to speed away with him in the car with her and Michael is just able to like run and see them in the car um, and then it takes off so instead of running to wherever his car might be luckily there's a florist deliverer <laughs> <laughs> that has pulled up right behind them and he it's tells like them a junker station the wagon yeah. it was great <laughs> 
but he but he gives chase. Good old Michael. Yep, along I don't know Fairfax Boulevard. I don't know what it is. Yeah, we have this hilarious car chase between the two of them, um, and it isn't long before Kimberly and Vic. Uh, what should I? Vimberly. Vimberly takes a hard left and goes to uh, away from the street where there's like this abandoned lot where as luck would have it. And this is my favorite part of the whole episode. There is a propane gas tank just parked there within several hundred feet of the main drag. Um, and, and wouldn't you know, Kimberly and Vic's car drives and crashes right into the gas tank. So with seconds to spare, Michael gets out of his borrowed floral delivery truck and and is able to get Kimberly out of the car before big explosion that takes Vic with him. Yes. So body number one. So there we go. And is that the one I presume you forgot? That's the one I forgot about. So technically you were right. You did not see a body, but that is our first of the two promised deaths of this episode. All right. So we have our first body count. Um, with Vic. And again, like I felt, I felt kind of cheated on the two, because I thought we were getting the death of two main characters, not this guy that disappeared earlier in the season that had like a, what, a three episode arc, if that. Yeah. I mean, that's the the common complaint about a bait and switch like that. Well, they weren't going to kill off two main characters. So this is what you get. Right. So, um, so we did have Kimberly in peril for about a hot minute. Michael saved the day. Kimberly is um, fine. She's like overnight in the hospital, I guess, yeah. because of concussion or what have you. Um, and meanwhile, Michael does keep visiting and he keeps sort of pressing her to hang out. And she's like, you know what, Michael, we can be friends. So they give that a try. Yeah. Together, and, each yeah. house. Yeah. And then he, um, I guess, because what, he wanted her to move into the beach house, right? Back, Move back to the beach house. Which, again, is hers to begin with, but right. Right but that's fine. Um, and they end up, they she does end up at the beach house playing Scrabble in bed with him because, like, when I play Scrabble with my friends, we always do it in bed with sharing a glass of wine. Um, and basically, like, I don't know, they're playing, like, dirty word Scrabble, and Michael spells out love, and she just decides to go for it, and they kiss, and that's it. And they're back together, just like that. Right, just like, just like you expected around the end of last season, when she was ready to blow up an entire building for him. Um, yeah, Michael and Kimberly are reunited, because the truth is, they deserve each other. Well, you know, it's just so weird, because Michael keeps cycling through the same three women. Yeah, it is weird. It's kind of weird. It's kind of pathological. It's kind of, well, whatever. But I guess we'll see what happens, how Sid feels about Kimberly being back on with Michael. Yeah, she'll have some things to say, but I I don't think it's a big thing, unfortunately. I mean, is this it? Like, will Kimberly and Michael stay together or no? Like, there's going to be more. Um, There's more, but I don't think what's to come is that satisfactory compared to all of the the stuff that happened before, which right. is like some of like the stuff that made Melrose great. I don't think they have any great moments left. Like, I'm just kind of wondering, like, is just, this just going to be like, okay, so now Michael settles down finally. And no, it's you know... not that. no, it's not that. Okay. But they no, And there's more to come with like Kimberly being insane, but the Michael and Kimberly stuff, I think 
takes a backseat to other stupid stories to come and suffers itself as a result. Okay. Well, we do see a wrap-up of one stupid storyline um, with this two-hour episode, and that is Billy Allison and Brooke. We are finally putting this sucker to bed. Finally. Yeah. We begin at the Beverly Hills Hotel, the Beverly Hilton, wherever Brooke has now been staying since Billy served her divorce papers, and she is returning from a run, and it turns out she has been locked out of her room in the middle of the morning. Because her credit card has been rejected. Right. So now she cannot pay for her stay. Um, and basically, she needs to come up with the money, or the hotel is going to hold on to her clothes, and right now all she's got is her running attire. Yep. And that is how she'll get to work. Yeah. And so she goes to she goes to D&D in that attire, and... It is not something that Amanda is thrilled with because Amanda is like, you know, we do have a dress code, Brooke. No, there's a lot of Amanda hating on Brooke. There's a lot of Amanda throwing Brooke under the bus in this episode. And it starts early. Um, Brooke, I don't even know why they do this. She takes off her coat yeah, and, and replaces it with one. someone else's <laughs> coat that's been hanging. And the second she walks into their meeting room, it doesn't matter because Amanda's like, Brooke, you know we have a very strict dress policy here at D&D, which, really? I'm not sure that you do, but okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so that was really funny when she swapped out the jackets. I, I, too, was like, wait, what? And then nothing happened. Like, it was just, like, right. such a, like, there was such a point made to follow her with the jacket swap, and then they did nothing. And nothing, nothing, yeah. Nothing. Absolutely Nothing. And so basically, yeah, Amanda is sort of like done with it. But again, like I have to say, oh, yeah, we, we have to say, we, we should say first that um, Brooke basically like has a meltdown in the middle of the conference room yeah. while Amanda's trying to run this meeting about how, um, you know, well, she has no money and, um, you know, Billy left her high and dry and all her clothes are locked in the hotel room at the Beverly Hilton because she can't pay the bill. Yeah. And so, um, because, you know, he's, this man, Billy serves me with divorce papers and she's basically like having a big old cry in front of the whole office. And Amanda is just like, okay, meeting adjourned. And basically once again, Amanda proves she is the only grown up in the room. Yes. Like she is just like, I'm sorry that you're going through this, but this is not my problem. And when you come to work, you need to be ready to work. And, and it's like, and again, she's going to get painted as the bad guy. Well, and she's not wrong. Well, in this case, she's completely right. But, um, no, I don't think anyone's painting Amanda as the bad guy. I mean, I think time and again in this season and this episode, like, Brooke is clearly, like, the problem. Right. Um, and yet Amanda keeps, Amanda, Allison keeps going to bat for her. She is just like, I mean, she's really taking this too far, I think. Yeah, I mean, they do this thing where she, they seem to have just wanted us to forget that her husband actually secretly divorced her before committing suicide. And so she said like out of loyalty to Haley is the reason why she's good to Brooke. And she's which, like, I'm her stepmother. I need yeah. to take care of her. Like there's all of this like weird stuff going but on with her. She's already like, like practically getting it on again with Billy as they try and make plans to move forward together, which is not really loyal to this late husband. She claims to still be in love with, or, you know, um, loyal to, um, so it's like Allison quit trying to protect Brooke. Like, yeah, she seems to have run out of options, 
that's her own doing. Like you don't need to be the one to to console her or roll the red carpet at her. But that's what she does, and that's another one of the things that this episode feels so redundant in doing is that it's not just one scene. It's like three or four scenes of like, like Brooke firing the first shots and then pouting when she's the one like in a, a pickle and Allison being the one to console her. Yeah. And like Allison lets her move in and Allison, like Allison is sort of like, you know, and Billy of course gets upset about that because you know now he's got to see her at home again every time he's like you know going in and out of his apartment like Brooke is going to be keeping tabs on him basically um it, I don't know it just feels like you know you think back to all the things that Brooke did to Allison and like I'm just like this is insane who would do this right right nobody nobody absolutely but it's nobody place. it is Melrose place but still I mean this one is definitely kind of like I think I think over the top with the stupid. It's over the top with the stupid. And it's also, they almost bend over backwards story-wise to keep Brooke in the building, but she doesn't really do anything that terrible. Right. You know, we'll get to some of the other plot points to come, but it's like, I expected all along there to be, something worse going on or that she would enact something more terrible than she does. It's just a lot of sort of plotting and crying, but the plotting doesn't really amount too much. Right. Like she shows up at shooters, um, where like Billy is getting drunk and like, you know, Allison shows up and he asks Allison to dance and, and they're doing like this slow dance together. And that's of course when Brooke walks in and she like, you know, basically unplugs the jukebox, which by the way, what happened to the DJ? Um, and, <laughs> and she's, and, and she like has this scene confronting Billy and Allison. And then she, and then she like, you know, turns and walks out and she tries to reconnect with her ex fiance Lowell. Yeah. You know, um, but all to, all to no avail. Like, there's no nothing really comes of any of it. Yeah, I thought that was really weird too. So she shows up at the at the country club. Um, you know, she tells Allison that she, that she she's got a date with Lowell essentially, and they're getting back together. But then she shows, can she borrow a dress? That's why she tells Allison that because she needs to borrow a dress because all of her clothes are locked up in the Beverly Hilton Hotel. Um, and so she goes to the country club in the borrowed dress and she's like, basically like scarfing the food at the buffet. Like I'm waiting for her to like wrap it up in the napkin and stick it in her purse. Like, I'm like, why is she like eating? Like she hasn't eaten in like three weeks. And, right. and then she finds Lowell and he is like completely like not interested in her because, um, yeah, yeah. He makes a point in fact of saying that now that her dad is dead and the money is gone, she has nothing to offer. Right. So why would he date her? It was very less than zero that moment. Yeah, yeah, except that was way more, uh, you know... That was good. Riveting, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) except that was good. But it was definitely this sort of, like, you know, you expect Robert Downey Jr. to show up at any minute, and, you know, it was... Like, that I thought was kind of, like, okay. Um, But again, like, that goes away, too. Right, and it's just... They just keep going around and around, and and it's like, all right, yeah, like, Brooke is creating more of a tangled web for herself, but unlike what happened with Sid, there was always a sense of sympathy on the audience part for her. I think you and I agree on that. Yes. Um, it's like, yeah, even when Brooke cries, it's like, yeah, I don't feel bad for you. Yeah. I just want you. I just want you gone. 
Yeah, like what? Like why? Like just leave. Like what? Why do you like, keep coming back? Nobody wants you on Melrose Place. Just go away. You're terrible to everyone. Your storyline doesn't open up any other doors to anything. Like even like you know, say when Sid was a prostitute, the fact that she was able to get one of the other women to sleep with Jane's fiance at the time—it's like, all right, that's good. That's something coming from something else here. Like none of Brooke's pettiness bore any fruit. So at this point, it's just like, how many times is she going to like, you know, like come to D&D and pout or see Billy with Allison and pout? It's too little, too late. I'm also thinking about like, I felt like the writers allowed Sid, like even in this episode, the writers allowed Sid to be vulnerable. But I kind of feel like there were moments here where Brooke was vulnerable too. I mean, let's face it, like, you yeah, know, there are, you know, her mom's dead, her dad's dead. Bad? But you don't, but you don't see that vulnerability. And I guess this is the failing of Kristen Davis, and this is probably why, as an actor, I'm not a fan of hers. See, I think Kristen Davis is hitting the notes right. I just think, as written, Brooke has just been thrown against a brick wall. I don't think I don't think Kristen Davis is the problem here, especially towards the later episodes. Between her having that miscarriage of finding out she wasn't pregnant, I guess, um, and the end, I really don't think she was a problem. I just think the character is a dead end. And okay. I think there's no emotional fruit from her. But there, but that, those were the moments where she could have sort of sparked some vulnerability. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's the fault of the writers. But, like, you know, because she, she did think she was having a baby. She was told she was pregnant. And then she's all of a sudden not. Like, I mean, granted, that's a ridiculous storyline they saddled her with anyway. But, you know... There was heartbreak there. There was clearly heartbreak there. But it, I felt like, you know, Sid's, you know, Sid, Sid's allowed this sort of, or, or, or Laura Layton plays the vulnerability really well. Like when she was with um, Bobby earlier in the episode and sort of saying, hey, you know what? You're a nice guy and I wish I had a nice guy, but I never yeah. get nice guys. Like, like, so just like, sorry, you know, sorry for doing this to you. You don't deserve this. Like. Well, I think some of that is earned over time, and Brooke never gets that opportunity after three and a half seasons to to find redemption. Sid obviously had a lot more better writing from the get go, um, but I think I think it's mostly just it's I think it's mostly bad writing with Brooke because they just never knew what to do with her and zigged her in a couple different directions, and they were all the wrong choices. Yeah. I will also say though. Billy does not get enough credit for being a supreme douche during this situation. He's not a good guy. As many times as he has been lied to and manipulated, he's not cool. No, he's not. But are you are you taking him. a drink or yawning? I'm yawning. I, okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I almost forgave him. I almost forgave him, though. Um. Uh, no, nah, I just think he's an asshole. So I guess I can't, I won't, they'll get no quarter from me. Okay. Um, but yeah, Brooke is the real enemy. So back to her. Yeah. So back to her. Um, I mean, what to say now? I mean, basically, um, well, I think, I don't think there's a ton more other than, um, Allison takes her in and. Oh, she uh, does well, catch her sleeping in her car. Yeah. Yeah, in the in the D and D parking lot. Yeah, and that's actually how um, Brooke ends up at Allison's because Allison right. sees that Brooke is basically living in her car because she's got no place else to go. Right, and you know, I think at one point 
There are several conversations where Amanda tells Allison she's an idiot for taking Brooke in and trusting Brooke. Um, and that's when Amanda says the line, and she's like, some of us has, have real problems, literal guns pointed at our heads. Because remember, Amanda just had a gun pointed at her head the night before, and she still came into work. <laughs> that is she such a good out. point. She did not call out. <laughs> that's a true professional. I know. She's um, so great. So, yeah, and then there is, there's also a scene in Allison's apartment where Amanda and Brooke go at it again, and Allison's trying to play Peacemaker, um, and Amanda fires Brooke, and, well, Brooke says to Amanda, kiss my ass, and Amanda can, tells her she's fired. So, again, Brooke left with few options. Um, but being at Allison's does mean at one point, um, when Allison and Billy are talking about how to move forward with their relationship once the divorce with Brooke is final, Brooke, of course, looks out her window and sees Billy and Allison kissing on the floor below. Yeah. Poor Brooke. In a bathroom. Yeah, yeah, and pink fuzzy slippers. Yeah, which, again, Allison has had all her stuff destroyed again by Brooke just weeks earlier, so it's nice that she was able to completely restock uh, her apartment so quickly. Yeah, and, and let the conniving apartment wrecker in yeah. to stay there. Yeah. And so basically, um, Brooke catches Amanda and Billy in this kiss, um, while she's eating a bowl of ice cream by the window. Um, and then, you know, puts the ice cream down and pretends that she was like sleeping or something when Allison comes in. But Billy had given Allison a key to his apartment that Brooke saw as sort of saying, well, if she gets too crazy, just here, you know, here's the key, come in and stay here. Um, but now, Allison has Billy's key in the apartment, which Brooke puts to full use and goes and surprises Billy by turning up in his bed completely naked. Yeah, she pulls a single white female. Yeah. And um, Billy- but uh, again, this is one of those things where I'm like, nothing new comes from this. The, like, the, the Billy Brooks shambles doesn't change. Like, the Allison Brooke relationship really isn't any further upended at this point. It's just another notch in, like, the crazy Brooke belt. But that belt was tight. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, at this point, she's been fired. She's been rejected numerous times. Um, You know, she's just staying. She's barely staying at Allison's. Allison finally, like, sort of gives in to Billy and agrees that she's going to give her the boot. Um, You know, so... um, So, basically, like, you know, she's she's sort of, like, right on that edge. And... um, Billy, Allison, Joe, and Jake are going out on a double date to the movies. Like, wait, Which what? I love this. I remember when I first watched, I loved this idea of like the double dating. I thought that was so cool. Like, oh, I still think the Jake and Jane thing is weird, but now we have four original cast members that are going out on a double date. Fun. Yay. Um, and so as they're leaving, in comes drunk Brooke. Who... Yeah, which I don't know where she went or how she paid for her drinks, but okay, fine. I don't know, but she is drunk and um, she's like basically nasty to everybody. Telling them all, telling them all off again. She says, oh, look, two pea brains and a couple of sluts. Yeah, that's right. And so basically. She manages to get another dig in at Allison. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's like basically like having, you know, having a fit and, and they just like walk out and they're just like, you know what, whatever. Like, bitch. You know. Yeah, they're all like, we're over it. Like, fuck you, we've had enough. Yeah. You did this to yourself. And the best part is they all walk away, and Jake, like, from the back, like, just sort of waves her goodbye. Yeah. Like, and, like, the bitchiest thing, like, the most almost, like, non-Jake 
style, but it's hilarious. <laughs> and so basically that leaves Brooke drunk and alone in the middle of the Melrose Place courtyard with nobody Where, around. With no lifeguard on duty. No lifeguard on <laughs> duty. And so she starts like stumbling along um, and she teeters precariously close to the pool um, until she finally goes right over into the pool but hits her head. Hits her on head. The other side. Yeah. So we know that she has now been completely knocked out and is likely going to drown. Now they don't actually show that she's like floating face down, but the per- we're given the impression that she's probably dead. But they ended on this cliffy so that we will come back after this February break because they usually took a few weeks off in February after sweeps, right? Uh, well, this was the beginning of February, so actually I think the following week was the next episode. Oh, okay. Um, um, but but it, it ensures you're going to tune back in because yeah. you are going to want to know, did she make it or not? Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, but I say no. Uh, uh, I think you are correct in saying no, but we have not seen the last of Kristen Davis on this season. Oh, shit. And... Whatever you think they might be doing with her, it's worse. I mean, does she come back as Brooke, or is she just a completely different character? It's neither of those things. Wait, what? I mean... (laughs) It's got to be one or the other. Don't tell uh, me she has an evil twin. We see her as Brooke, but maybe not as an alive Brooke. No, they bring back a ghost. Yeah. Oh. And it's and it's the beginning of the worst part of the series. Oh. Like I always looked at this and everything that followed as like the real tipping point. Not not quite a jump the shark jump the shark moment. We're going to get to that at the end of this season, I believe. Um, but yeah, they do a ghost brook thing that I think has real negative dividends. Um, I did want to point out her last words are as she cries alone, nobody's home, nobody cares. And right before that's right before she trips and stumbles into the pool. <laughs> oh, actually what's funny about that is for a while I made that my answering message when I was in college on my, my wrong phone. <laughs> Nobody's home and nobody cares. Yeah. <laughs> Back when I didn't have a care. Yeah. <laughs> In 1998. Yeah. 1998. Oh, my God. So, um, so yeah. yeah. The, the deal is Brooke's pretty dead. Yeah. So, Brooke is ding-dong. Brooke is dead. Yeah. Um. So, hey, that is our February Sweeps episode. Yep. Here in the coronavirus Ides of March. God, can you believe this shit? Really? No. 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 But more time to watch Melrose, right? I mean... That's right. Although I have to say, I've been quite busy. Yeah, I've been working just as hard. And my days feel longer. Probably what you're used to dealing with, where it's like, once you wake up and check your email, it's like your day has started and it doesn't end for 10, 12, 14 hours. Mm Mm-hmm. It's really hard to like make that separation when you're, when you're working from home. I mean, I don't even know how you're doing it because at least I have like an office to go into, you know, like I can go into my office and kind of, I mean, I don't have a door to my office, but 
you know, I go in and like, this is my office time and like, you know what I mean? Like, and then I can go in the kitchen and not be in the office, but you're just in your one bedroom apartment. Yeah. We're both just working from our laptops in our living room. And sometimes it gets tricky when we both have conference calls at the same time. Yeah. Like that's gotta be tricky too. So, but, I mean, but you know, we're following everyone's orders and hoping for the best and hoping to get through it. Yeah, I hope you guys are doing okay with the virus, um, this this wacky time that we're living in. Yeah, wacky indeed. Wacky indeed. You know, it's so funny when I was watching this episode, I was kind of like, man, to go back to 19, when was it, 1998? Well, this, uh, this was early 96. Oh, yeah. 96, whatever, whatever the hell it was. Like, I have to say, I was reading... I guess I saw and read a couple different things that were all from the 90s. I read in Watch Magazine, which is the CBS uh, magazine. They did, I don't know why they did it now, but they did like an oral history of the show Picket Fences, which is one of my own favorites. We'll save that for another podcast. But um, I was just thinking about like the 90s TV, and I was like, you know what? That really might still be the best decade for TV. I know peak TV, blah, blah, blah. Um, but for me, we just have, we're just making movies and splitting them up and calling it TV. Uh, actual TV to me still at its best in the nineties. Like, really? Like when we had Melrose. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I still believe it. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Cause you know, Buffy was nineties, right? Buffy, Twin Peaks. Oh, Twin Peaks. Yeah, that was NYPD great. Blue, yep. ER, X-Files, Seinfeld, Simpsons. I mean, these are, this is 90s. So funny, though, when you get to be my age, when you get as old as me, it all kind of runs into, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, wow, the Simpsons, they were the 90s. That wasn't the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, there was, Tracy Ullman started in the 80s, of course, but, but Simpsons, I mean, I guess it debuted December of 89, but to me, that's a nice I know, that's close enough. Like, yeah. like now we're splitting hairs at that point. Right. Yeah, yeah, truly. Um, but so, yeah, yeah, it is kind of crazy to think about, like, all of that. Like, Charmed was 90s, right? Yep, totally. Late 90s, but... Yeah, but it was 90s. still the 90s, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, damn. There was some yeah. fun TV. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Well, did you like this episode overall? Not really. Yeah. Again, it felt like... It, it's just, you're right. It felt really repetitive. Like, I'm like, oh my God, like how many times is Sid going to hit on Bobby and get, you know, but although those were kind of the highlights of the episode, you know, to sort of see Laura Layton being, you know, vampy and then just being like, that Sid that we love who can sort of like pull herself out of it and be like, you know what? You're a great guy. I wish I could get a great guy. You know, like yeah. I, I keep harping on that cause I loved it. I love that moment so much with her. And, I it, and it wasn't was... enough because she's really the outlier in that storyline, which is really about Bobby versus Peter. Right. And it, and it's like, who cares? Because Bobby's a terrible character and uh, John Enos, the third is a terrible actor and it's like, there isn't a single storyline right now that doesn't have major problems. Okay, the one thing that was sort of like giving me life about this episode that I neglected to bring up, every time Jack Wagner was interacting, every time he was interacting with Laura Lee, and every time he was interacting, you know, he was interacting with Sid, Peter Burns was interacting with Sid, Jack Wagner just had like the best expressions going on after conniving with her and it was just like 
his expressions were just giving me life. Like they were great. And I was like, Jack Wagner, I love you. I love you so much. I couldn't love you anymore. Like he just had these like grimaces going on that were, that he was just like rolling his eyes at Sid and her behavior. And it was absolutely perfect. And I was just like, I love you too to bits and you guys should get together. Yeah. I wish, I wish that was a place that they went, but they don't. Um, but I may have also been distracted by his inordinately like largely cut suits. Like he didn't wear a single suit or tux that fit him well. Neither did Michael. I think I remember Michael in this episode at one point showing up in like a Miami Vice outfit. <laughs> Am I imagining that it was Michael, right? That showed up in like the t-shirt underneath the the double breasted like suit with the big Where? shoulder pads. Where would that have been? I don't remember. I kind of, but I, I'm pretty sure maybe it was Richard, but I'm pretty sure oh, it was I Michael. Think it was, I think it might have been Richard. Yeah. Oh, I think okay. it's Richard when he goes into the pool. No, no, no. It was, no, I'm pretty sure it was Michael. I'm pretty, pretty sure it was Michael showing up wearing this outfit that was like, what are you wearing? Maybe it was Peter Burns. Maybe it was Peter maybe, wearing the. Maybe it was know. Peter. It might have been Peter. I actually, I think I it was Peter. I don't know. If you guys, I think, I think it is Peter then. Yeah, I think it's Peter. I think I was making. But if any of you listeners know what we're talking about and have seen it, do let us know. Correct us if need be. Um, and on, on speaking of Jack Wagner, I tweeted this weekend. Um, we watched Frozen Two, which is now available on Disney Plus, which we finally like bought the bullet and ordered. Um, you didn't see it, right? No, I didn't see Frozen 1. Oh, I, I mean, I don't really love either of them. This one has, like, zero plot. But, um, they give one of the male characters, voiced by Jonathan Groff, this big 80s power ballad called Lost in the Woods. It's, like, ridiculous and very much of, like, it's sort of like got the Jim Steinman meets Motley Crue thing, just a lot of guitar. But you know who it actually sounds like? It sounds like a Jack Wagner song. It sounds like the most Jack Wagner song Jack Wagner never sang. And that's basically what I tweeted. Because it's like just like a stepsister to All I Need, which was his big hit. Um, I and kind of you, almost forgot that Jack Wagner was like a pop yeah, star for a hot minute. Yeah, he had like a top 10 hit in the 80s. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> and you know who else did? Was um, Rick Springfield. Oh, yeah, he had like a string of them. Yeah, yeah. and both all, of them. All the General Hospital guys, yeah. Yeah, but... And it was like right after both of them were in General Hospital. And you know what's even such a kick with Rick Springfield is he still has legions of fans. Oh yeah, for his I, if music. he was on, I would see him on tour potentially. Now, like I would still do that. Like I remember, like some of his fans like went and like rushed the subway a few years ago. There was like this crazy thing that happened on the subway with like all of his fans went and rushed the subway, and I was like, holy shit, that's a lot of people, and they were all women. Um, but it was well, kind of like this sort of like holy shit moment of, oh my God, look at all of these women. Like, who knew Rick Springfield had legions of fans? Who knew? Yeah. I certainly did not. Yeah, like the love runs deep. I don't know what else to say. I know. I mean, but I no, he had like, he had like a really significant pop star career for, you know, the first half of the 80s. Um, yeah. 
but what happened to his acting career? That did not take off. He no, he tried. He tried to do movies in the middle of all that, and no one cared. Um, he has revisited General Hospital a couple times in the last twenty years. Because, like, I uh, I just have a hard time believing that he's making a living on his music alone. No, I'm not really sure how much of a living he has. I know he keeps trying. I know that he is still doing a bunch of like '80s nostalgia tours. Um, but I guess I those don't get old. I mean, clearly that's yeah, where mean, all these fans are coming from. You know, I don't know if he does like cruise ships and stuff too, but not right now. I would say. I guess that's um, the thing. But um, yeah, I would I would see him live if the opportunity presented itself. Oh, well, I've he, done I karaoke to Jesse's Girl on more than five occasions. Oh, more than five. Well, now that's something. Yeah, perhaps more than ten. <laughs> Here, hold on. Let's see. Oh, well, you know what? He's going on a summer tour. Apparently, is it with a couple? Is it like a triple bill, or is it him? I don't know. It's hard to tell. It's so hard to tell. He's going to be on World Cafe. Really? On Monday, March 26th. There's no Monday, March 26th. This is, must be uh, This must be from last <laughs> <What> year. year? <laughs> wow. I'm like, there is no such thing as that. Like his news or his news section maybe needs a. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have an intern, I guess, to update his. I mean, okay, here what? we go. Here we. Oh, yeah. He does these. Um, oh, he's doing these. Whoa. All right, so he's he seems to be doing these like trips. So it's like go see like Rick Springfield. Okay, all inclusive fan getaway in 2020, where people are going to I don't even know where are we going. Um, Rick Springfield and friends. His friend is Tommy Two Tone. Oh, nice. With a eight six seven five three zero nine. Good lord! Hosted by Mark Goodman. No idea. Um, oh, Mark Goodman is one of the original MTV VJs, oh, one of the original right. five. That's right. Okay, with special guests Doug Davidson and Jason Thompson. Again, two names I do not know. Uh, okay, I can tell you, Doug Davidson is a longtime cast member of Young and the Restless. He's been on for like 40 years. And Jason Thompson is now on Young and the Restless, but his big break was playing Rick Springfield's son on General Hospital starting in the mid-2000s. Ah, uh, okay. So this is May 14th through 18th in Cancun. I think it's going to get canceled. Yeah. Uh, so uh, basically, wow. Um, the cheapest price for this thing looks like um, it's uh, almost $2,000. What? Almost two grand. And I don't even know if that gets you flights. Um, it doesn't look like I it, bet it, does. it does. I, I mean, it's it definitely, it's four nights um, at the five-star Hard Rock Cancun. Um, it's all meals and snacks, 24-7 room service. Top shelf drinks are included, both in room and bars on property. 24-7 room service. Wow. Wow. Yep. Complimentary Wi-Fi. Um, a full band high energy Rick Springfield concert. Um, you do get unlimited phone calls to the continental U.S. and Canada. Um, you get a question and answer. Uh, you get a cocktail party, pool cocktail party with Rick. There's meet and greets and photo op. Okay, so basically no airfares included, taxes and fees not included, transfers from the airport to the Hard Rock Cancun, plus like spa treatments, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there will be add-on packages uh, available at additional, at additional cost. So basically, like, holy shit, this is a lot of money for five days, four days. 
This is actually a kind of awesome thing they're offering. I mean, it's one of those things that's both awesome and kind of awful sounding, but I mean, like, if you have the time and the money and you're even somewhat of a fan, it's kind of cool. Silence. On the <laughs> I don't know. I guess I don't understand these things. I don't understand this level of fandom. Well, but I figure most of the people that are going are making, like, a trip out of it. A girl's trip, a weekend getaway, whatever, a long weekend getaway, that sort of thing. I mean, like, they would probably be going on these kinds of trips anyway. Now you just get, like, some photo time with these has <laughs> Well, see, that's the thing. Like, I would rather just go on the trip. Like, there's, yeah. n- do you know what you I mean? Me, right? Like, I would just rather go on the trip. Like, why am I going to go, like, to this Rick's, like, oh, because let me go with my girlfriends with, like, a full band, high energy Rick Springfield concert? Oh, hell no. No. I would rather yeah. go see the Decemberists. Like, come on. Yeah, but I think you're a different kind of person than their target audience. But I am their and target I feel like audience. This is... I'm, like, middle-aged. A middle-aged yeah, female. Yeah, but it's not... I'm talking state of mind. I mean, like, you wouldn't drop everything just to go to, like, you know, a super soak weekend, would you? And I feel like I the people there... I wouldn't drop anything because I'm really fucking lazy. <laughs> well, so you're definitely, like, different. You're not lazy. You're too busy being industrious and being a mom. Yeah, but, like, who... Like, but I'm sure that the people that go to this are industrious and they're moms, too. I mean, maybe, but maybe they're the kind of people that watch Young and Restless every day, and they're like, this is the primary thing. I guess the thing is, like, okay, like, who am I, like, a fan of, right? Like, am I a fan of somebody? Like, who am I a fan of? I don't know. I don't know that I have, like, like, I know that there are actors that I'm like, yes, I will watch anything you do because you're fucking awesome. But I don't know that I love them so much. I need to go on, like, this Cancun weekend to, like, maybe, like, get a photo op with them and maybe, like, pass them at a cocktail party and make, like, eyes at them. Like, to me, that's just really weird. Like, I wouldn't do that with anybody. Even, like, I don't know, who would, who would even come close to that for me? Who? I couldn't even, like, I can't even come up with one person. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't do it. It doesn't appeal to me. But I, I but I understand that there are a lot of people that love sort of it. But I get, I get, I know, I know that there are people that love it. And the more power to you, but I just don't get it. Because I can't see myself doing it. And like I said, there is nobody that I would love to do it with, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, and like, I will go, and and that's the thing, like, I'm a concert girl, I'm a live music girl, I love going to concerts, I love live music, um, you know, I definitely don't go as much as I would like to anymore, I used to go all the time when I was younger, um, so it's not even like, well, you just don't like to go hear live music, it's actually like one of my favoriteest things to do, and this is just like, yeah, no, I have no interest in doing this. Yeah, but this is not really about the music. This is really about, like, star fucking. Yeah. And and uh, and all you can drink. Well, that's true. All the drinks are included. I don't know. The whole thing is just... So anyway, that's what Rick Springfield is up to. <laughs> In case y'all were curious. I mean, good for him. I hope he's making some money with Tommy Two-Tone. What? Yeah, yeah. I hope they. I hope they all are. God bless. Um. 
So his last album was in 2016, and it was called The Snake King. Yeah, I don't remember anything about that. I do know that he released his own memoir like 10 years ago called Late Late at Night, like mm-hmm. the line from Jesse's Girl. But I also didn't read it, and I'm sure it's not that interesting. I love this. This is <laughs> The Snake King finds Rick traveling down a dusty dirt road exploring the blues. Oh, the blues. Wow. The blues. The blues. I wonder if it's any good. I mean, he wasn't a bad singer. No, he was a talented guy. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't, like, a bad singer. The pop songs were great pop songs. I only remember Jesse's Girl. What was the other one? Did he have Did, other don't ones? Don't Talk to... He had, like, minor ones. They used to play them a lot at the gym. Um, don't Talk to Strangers. Who's Your gym? <laughs> yeah, the New York Health and Racket Club, I remember. You're kidding me. Well, like, they wouldn't recently? play that now. Like, like I mean, when? When when I was going every day to the Health and Racket Club, like 2004, which is not now, but it's 20 years since he had a hit. I guess. Oh, and there's like, oh, man, there are some scrolls going on here that I'm missing. But apparently he's going to be in Chicago over the summer. Now you can go to we Chicago hope. and go see him. We hope. We hope. We do hope. We do hope. Um, I've done everything for you. Don't talk to strangers. You better love somebody. That's all I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. So he had a few. He might have won the Grammy, though, for Jesse's Girl. Interesting. I mean, that we're talking about that trip, which is, appeals to a certain type of person, but, like, I'm not knocking Rick Springfield. Well, I mean, one shouldn't knock Rick Springfield. He has a whole merch store. Wow. You can meet Rick Springfield. Um, oh, you can buy a VIP backstage with the Rick Springfield experience. Oh, my God. You can get a collector's edition guitar package. This is a whole thing. So, basically, like, you can, like, buy a guitar and, like, I guess meet him, like, backstage at a concert and, like, he'll give you the guitar, I guess? This is, like, oh. worth $2,500. Who does this? Who has this kind of money? Yeah, that's a really good question. That's kind of crazy. Oh, my God, he has jewelry. He's going to be 70. No, what? he is 70. He's going to be 71. Bless his heart. Yeah. Good for him. Oh my God, he has a Noah Drake charm. He sells little charms. It's a Noah uh, Drake. Oh, uh, the GH. Yeah, Patrick Drake is the name of his character's son. Oh. Wow, this is insane. This whole thing is insane. Who knew? Who knew? <sighs> so, that was a rabbit hole. I didn't think we'd be going down, but here we go. You know what? It made sense to me. Oh! Oh, you know what I forgot? What? He's in Ricky and the Flash, the the Meryl Streep movie where she plays like a like former singer mm. with, with um, you know Kevin Klein and Audrey McDonald and and a bunch of like A list talent, including her daughter, are all in it and and. Um, Rick Springfield's in that movie. Actually, there was a lot... I remember he got a lot of press at the time, and he was, he held his own. It was a Jonathan Demme movie, so shout-out to my favorite director. Good for him. 
Well, it's nice to see that he's still working. Yeah, I mean, he's like 70 and going strong, so really good for him, actually. Yeah, I mean, honestly, for 70, he looks fantastic. I'm yeah. just going to lay that out there. I mean, he was always a very good-looking man, and for 70 years old, he's only he's aged better. He looks re- He's one of those dudes that, like, the older he gets, the better-looking he gets. I will give him that. Yeah, I'll say he looked really good then, and he's looking really good now. So, you know, two thumbs up, Rick Springfield. I would love to know what fountain of youth you are diving in. You know who does not look good? And I was really, really bummed out to see that. Madonna. Oh, she looks disgusting. Did you see that picture of her in the bathtub that was making the rounds, like, the the other day? No, was that when she called uh, COVID-19 the great equalizer? Yeah, I think that might have been the moment. She was in a bathtub. No, but I'm going to look for it now. I mean, uh, it just makes me so sad because I will never, ever, ever stop loving her or her achievements, but I really want her to grow up now. I really thought that she was going to age gracefully. Like, I really did, Um, particularly after she, you know, she had Lord. She did, um, you know, shockingly, my favorite album of hers was Ray of Light. Oh, that album is, remains fantastic. Yeah, I mean, that, and I just, it, I felt like it was sort of a turning point for her musically and her career, and I really felt like she was um, really kind of coming into her own as an artist and not just being this pop singer. Like, it was like, and and, and I just was like, this is great, this is great. Like, she's, you know, finding a more spiritual edge, and, and I was, just, and then it just, and then it was just like, all of a sudden she must have like panicked that she was getting old and she was doing these yeah. unmadonna like things where now she's had so much plastic surgery. I, I feel like she looks like Jocelyn Wildenstein. Does anybody remember her? Or am I the only one? Um, I'll speak for anybody and say, no, I don't know who you're talking about. Oh my God. She was um, this socialite in New York, I guess maybe in the late nineties. So that might've been a little bit before your time where they called her, the New York post used to call her the cat lady because she had so much oh. plastic surgery. She kind of, was she, like I mean, I had a, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so like, this is like what Madonna now looks like. Like she has been pulled. No, in- she does. And, and, and more net, more very recently than even in the last few years in plastics are like right now, she really looks awful. Yeah. Like I had to Google it cause I was like, I don't remember Madonna looking like that. Yeah. And like, and then I was like, wow, you know, because she is a very wealthy woman, woman. I, you know, I'm sure in her forties and fifties, she had worked on you know, they all do, but it was very yes. like yes, she did. subtle. It was subtle work. Right. I mean, you know, I, I, it, it didn't look jarring. It didn't look like, like alien head, you know what I mean? And then I don't know what happened, but she had something major done, um, recently and, and it just is sort of like shocking and doesn't look good. Yeah, and it looks, super, it looks very pathetic. Super it looks very desperate. Super disappointing. It looks very needy. Yeah. Because I really thought that she was sort of like going to basically age gracefully and show us that, you know, and prove that it's okay as a woman to get older and you can still be appealing and you can still be attractive and you can still have, you know, a sensuality about you even into your 60s and 70s. And, you know, and I really thought that she would be the driving force for that because she has been so outspoken, um, you know, through her whole career and, you know, an envelope pusher and a boundary pusher. And just yeah, to see, no to see this happening with her, it was just super disappointing. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, a couple of years ago, I read, you know, Kim Gordon from Sonic Youth. Mm-hmm. 
she had a memoir and she talked about, you know, some of the other women that sort of came up not behind her, but around the same time as her. And she says, you know, in the beginning, she thought Madonna was great because she was so self-confident and she was, you know, you know, very like, you know, like sex positive. And she said, but then after a while, it was like all of these like weight loss things and extreme workout routines and later plastic surgery. And she's like, it was really disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. And, you know, I, I could go, I could almost forget, like I could totally forgive the workout routines. I, could almost forgive the bizarro diets and the weight loss thing. Um, but now I just feel like with this sort of extreme plastic surgery that it seems like she's been doing, it's like, she's just gone like, like one step too far. Yeah. She's gone about 75 steps too far. Right. Yeah. It's, it was, it was a real bummer to sort of see that happen. Very disappointing. You know, so on that note, Hey, you know, this has been like the welcome to the nineties edition over here or eighties. Even we've really sort of dug deep into the eighties actually. Yeah. We, we, we kept dialing back. That's, that's how much we want to get away from our current situation. I know we're trying to like run away from the COVID-19 mess. So anyway, like Doug, what are you doing this week? I think I'm just going to stay in. Yeah. I think I'm just going to spend some quality time in my home. Yeah. I think I'm going to catch up on some TV, maybe do a little work. Um, yeah, you know, that's why I'm thinking I might, might do a deep clean on my house. We would, but we don't even have room to move stuff around. So yeah. we'll just, um, look at it. <laughs> just dust around the shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully to continue catching up on a lot of stuff so we can talk about that. Oh, and also something we can talk about next week, uh, you know, as one of the side effects of COVID-19 is, I mean, I don't mean medical side effects. I mean, culturally, <laughs> is how everything is, uh, all the film releases are now immediately going to on-demand purchasing or streaming purchasing. I think this could really be a major game changer in accelerating, like, what is happening with feature film releases. So I, I have to say, I've been wondering about that with theater, because a lot of theaters are moving their shows to streaming platforms. Um, because equity gave them a dispensation where they yeah, can if you do have this. a digital recording, yeah. Um, and obviously the recordings that these theaters have are probably not great. They're probably archival because that's how most theaters have the full version of the plays that, you know, that they can show. They did not record them for television, for televised purposes. Um, these are archival video. Um, so a lot of times it's like far, far away from the stage. There's not a lot of like cut in, you know, um, it, it, I guess it depends on your budget, how many cameras you have, what kind of shoot you're doing. And, and then if you have a budget to edit this together nicely, or if it's just going to be like, sort of like a static camera shooting at the stage is like kind of wide angle. But anyway, um, with, I think that it's just a really interesting thing to sort of think about, um, you know, what, what could happen. Um, because of this sort of like new normal that we're diving into right now. And when we go back, because, you know, the problem with theater is it's very localized. You can only see New York theater when you are in New York, unless there's something that goes out on HD in the movie theaters, like, you know, like the, the national theater does NT live. Mm -hmm. Um, so this kind of feels like it could be a game changer if, if you can, as the theater stream things. And then what does that mean to the live audience? 
Does that mean people are going to sit at home and stream this? Does that mean, you know, or is there a way like, like with like the Yankee games, like you, where they like black out the New York area if they're playing at Yankee stadium, Yeah, you know, like, can you do that so that like, you know, you sort of are kind of forcing New Yorkers to like go to the theater as opposed to stay home and watch it on your couch, you know, because theater is meant to be seen live in an audience, blah, blah, blah. It's not a film, but at the same time, if we're streaming and we're saying, we're okay with this because we just want you to see the work, then what does this mean a year from now when we're through this? Right. Right. Hopefully. You know, Hopefully think, before, honestly. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, things don't change overnight and no. especially in the theater world. But I just think that this is something yeah. like really interesting to think about in terms of precedence and stuff like that. And is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? I'm not quite sure. I think it's a good thing in that, you know, it, could potentially reach a much wider audience. Um, you know, there's potential there to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, it's still, but then you, you are risking that people are just not going to go see anything live anymore. And if that is indeed the case, like then why not, why don't you just stay home and watch Netflix? That's yeah. That's certainly a potential consequence. Yeah. So anyway, deep thoughts, just some thoughts. Yeah. Deep thoughts. Deep thoughts yes, coming out of the COVID-19 brain. Ugh, don't say it like that. Or COVID. Can we call it COVID or is it COVID? I never watch TV, so I don't I've know been, what they're calling I've been, it. I've been calling it COVID-19. Okay. I don't know what they're calling it, these kids. Kids these days. All right. Y'all stay safe and healthy. Stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, do a good karmic deed and uh, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, please. Absolutely. you got nothing else to do. Um, but we'll be back with another recap in a week um, and talking about, you know, whatever pop culture events are uh, swirling in our minds. Yes. So we will see you guys then. Thanks for your time, and we will see you again back on the block. Bye. Bye.